Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, John, I'd like to say thank you, brother, for your worship this weekend. Audrey and uh, Kevin and uh, Kane, all of you, and Julie for playing the piano. I appreciated our time of worship together. Well, it's, it's good sometimes to write your thoughts down and to share them if you have a, quite a, a serious matter or one that's difficult to understand. So this morning, I wrote a few thoughts down about meditation. Let me ask you a question. If someone asked you for the key to an effective Christian life, how would you answer? Would you say that prayer is the key? A Bible study? Would you say fellowship with other Christians is the key? Perhaps someone who's very wise might say all the disciplines are the key. There's no one key. But today I want to talk to you about one of the key disciplines of the Christian life, one that is often neglected. It's the discipline of meditating on Jesus. Now there's an old Presbyterian writer, a surprisingly warm English Presbyterian by the name of Isaac Ambrose. Even his name tells us something, Isaac Ambrose. He helped me greatly on this subject. Ambrose writes this about meditation. Meditation is a deep and earnest reflection upon some point of Christian instruction to strengthen us against the flesh, the world, and the devil, and to lead us toward the kingdom of heaven. Meditation, Ambrose says, is a steadfast bending of the mind to some spiritual matter. Now, it doesn't strike you this morning as odd that meditation has always been considered one of the keys to a successful Christian life. Perhaps in your mind, you've associated meditation with non-Christian, occult spiritual practices. Biblical meditation is not like other forms of meditation. In many non-Christian forms of meditation, we try to go deeper into ourselves. We try to empty ourselves. We tame a monkey mind or repeat a mantra try to access a higher state of consciousness. Now that isn't biblical meditation, to make that clear from the beginning. Biblical meditation requires us to engage our minds, to think about something external to us, and that is the words of Scripture. Now, I think uh, I want to convince you of something this morning. I want to convince you that meditating on Jesus is a deeply Christian practice and one of the essential keys of a successful spiritual life. So let's divide our time together into three parts. 
First, we need a definition. What does it mean to meditate on Jesus? Second, we need to know why meditation on Jesus is so important. And finally, how can we effectively meditate on Jesus? Now, a little bit of context. In Psalm chapter 1, we read about a blessed person, not just a man. The Hebrew word for man in this context refers to both men and women. Most scholars agree that this psalm was composed by David. It's the first psalm in the whole Psalter. And as is often true about the first part of a work, this psalm is of special importance. David is showing us two paths we can choose. They are the two paths that recur throughout the book of Psalms, the path of blessedness and the path of the ungodly. The first path is the path of blessedness, and that's our focus this morning. It's a path of many blessings. The word blessed or blessed can be translated as a plural, so the idea is that many blessings rest upon the life of the person who chooses the first path. One commentator would have it rendered like this, Oh, the blessedness is of the man. I like that. It's not grammatically correct, but it conveys the idea. This blessed person is aware of God's will for their life and avoids the paths and the habits of the wicked those paths of sinners and scoffers. I don't think the idea here is that scrupulous avoidance of sinful paths is the way to salvation. The avoidance of these paths is clearly a result of God's grace and his mercy in our lives. We avoid these dangers because God has been gracious to us. Did you know grace is free? Salvation is a gift you can't earn? The Father saves us through repentance and simple trust in Jesus. Then, because we are permanently, eternally, unconditionally accepted, we work hard at living the blessed life. We can never reverse the order in God's kingdom. This is always the danger. First, we receive the gift of Jesus' righteousness. That's justification. Then, we run the race of right living And that's sanctification. I want to pause for a moment here and ask you a question. Do you have Jesus? It'd be a shame to come here this weekend and leave without having him. Do you have the Lord Jesus? Do you have the gift of eternal life? Next, David comes to those things the blessed person enjoys. He gave us the negative, and now he turns to the positive. The blessed person delights in God's law. And more directly to our purpose this morning, the blessed person meditates on God's law day and night. What does the word law mean there? It's a little scary, the law. Before we can understand meditation, we have to clear up a little bit of confusion about the matter we meditate upon. As a kid, I remember hearing this psalm, and I used to imagine that the law David mentions here is the thundering law from Sinai, the Ten Commandments, right? I was wrong. Biblical writers often use the word law to point us to the entire canon of Scripture. Jesus used the word law in this way when he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount of not coming to destroy the law 
and the prophets. There are many occasions when scripture makes a distinction between the law and the gospel, but this isn't one of those occasions. Here, it's talking about the whole Bible. The blessed person loves to meditate on the whole Bible. But what about Jesus? Our subject today is meditating upon Jesus. I don't think I have to convince most of you that the Bible is primarily a story about Jesus and his redemptive work. We don't have to search very hard to find Jesus in the story. In the New Testament, he's front and center, but he's also at the center of the Old Testament as well. If the blessed person is regularly meditating on God's word, then much of their meditation will be about the person and work of Jesus. To think often of Jesus is the path of Christianity. We long to know more about him, to draw near to him in worship. I don't think I overstate the case when I say that David, David in Psalm 1, is encouraging us to meditate upon Jesus often. So that's the context of the psalm. Now to our first point. What does it mean to meditate on Jesus? To answer that, we have to think of the meaning of the word meditate. It's a Hebrew word, hagah. The root meaning of the word is simply to mutter. It is a type of internal self-dialogue we engage in by ourselves when away from people. I know some of you do it. I do it myself. <laughs> have you ever found yourself muttering or talking to yourself? I was in Costco a few days ago in East Harlem. I passed another shopper, a guy. He was standing, having an entire conversation with himself, John. <laughs> he was muttering the list of items he had to purchase, having a real dialogue with himself. When his eye caught my eye, we both laughed. <laughs> uh, having one of those days, huh? Yeah, that's right. We both understood exactly what he was doing, trying to remember all the items he came to the store to purchase. I'll give you another illustration of this Hebrew word, meditate. Athletes learn to talk to themselves. They picture what success looks like. Even when they're losing a match, they try to talk themselves out of a hole or into a basket. We were talking last night about basketball, right, Nick? You got this. Don't give up. It isn't over yet. Isn't that what you do when you're in the hole? That's what meditation is, just repeating it over and over in your mind or with your mouth. I'm simplifying to a degree the varying shades of the meaning for the word meditate. But the central meaning is this, constant repetition of a part of God's word over and over again in your mind and your speech. This meditation is the delight of the godly person. And the great focus of our meditation is the Lord Jesus. In biblical meditation, we take some part of God's word, it's always his word, and we attempt to internalize it. The word is outside of us. It's on the page or in the form of Justine's voice as she read this morning. We hear it, and our challenge is taking this word and internalizing it. How can we get the Lord Jesus into our hearts and our minds? And meditation is the answer. There's another use of this word meditation in the book of Joshua. It gives us a, another picture of meditating on Jesus. Remember Moses died and he left Joshua with the great task of leading the Israelites into the promised land. 
The Lord speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1.7. Only be very strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Same Hebrew word, Hagah, found there. And the idea is clear. Meditation is taking God's word, rolling it around in your mouth and in your mind. In Joshua's case, this practice would make him prosperous and keep him courageous. Joshua and David had a partial revelation of the Lord Jesus. We have a more complete and full revelation. But our task is the same as theirs, meditating upon God's word and meditating upon Jesus. Now, our second question is, why? Why is meditating on Jesus so important? What benefit do we derive from effort and discipline in meditation? To answer that, we have to think of a few agricultural illustrations. In verse 3, David compares the righteous person, the person who regularly meditates on Jesus, to a tree. But not just any tree, a strong, healthy tree which has access to adequate water and produces fruit in season. The wicked he compares to chaff, the tiny debris that blows away when farmers sift wheat. Those who don't follow the path of blessedness eventually perish. Jesus says something quite similar to his disciples. Do you remember in John 15 when he introduces the idea of a vine and branches? Here's that text. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know the Lord is looking for fruit from his people? Fruit from you and me. He wants us to be fruitful, and the only way we can have fruitful lives is by abiding in Jesus. You need to have this idea firmly fixed in your mind, or you'll neglect the practice of meditation. The only way to be fruitful is by abiding in the vine, and the vine is Jesus. My case to you today is that the one, one of the key ways we abide in the Lord is by this biblical practice of meditating on him. Taking the scriptures, especially those parts which speak clearly about Jesus, and meditating until the scriptures become alive. Now, do you believe that if you don't meditate on Jesus, you will be fruitless? When he says, nothing, do you believe it actually means nothing? Sometimes we read that scripture and we think, oh, I can get a little something without the practices of spiritual discipline, but nothing, Jesus says. You can produce nothing. Everyone gathered here this morning, I think, longs for a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's why we came here. The great danger for many of us is there are so many counterfeit experiences of the Lord. 
There are millions of ways to get off track through false experiences. We can lose our connection with Jesus, who is the head. But meditation on Jesus helps us stay connected. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. Paul uses this image in Colossians 2:16, where he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head. The danger for the Colossians was that people were going around talking about visions they had had, seeing angels or living a certain type of ascetic lifestyle, and they were confusing the Colossian believers. But consistently, carefully, and constantly meditating upon Jesus as he's found in the scriptures is the cure for this. I want to say something here. Do you know that one of the greatest... Abe talked yesterday about anxiety as one of the greatest uh, dangers or problems that we struggle with. You know that most people are not looking to the Christian church for spirituality anymore. They often think that we are dead or devoid of spirituality, but there are such rich and deep paths of spirituality in the Christian church, and meditation is one of them. People are hungry for a real experience with the Lord Jesus. Anyone here like that this morning? I know I am. (laughs) They're hungry, and we have these rich paths, including meditation. And meditating on Jesus helps us become immune to deception. There's a final why for meditating on Jesus, and John, you like this one. It's worship. Meditation on Jesus teaches us to worship well. We worship the Father, God, but the only way to worship the Father is through the Son. Of course, our worship is always in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our worship is Trinitarian. But it is through the Son, Jesus, that a path to worship forms in our hearts and minds. Have you ever had the experience of coming to God in worship and finding your heart and your soul were cold. If you had this experience, then you're just like David. Remember how he spoke to himself? He commanded his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, even a godly man like David could get cold and dead in his soul. And he had to summon himself to a state of worship. He meditated on all the benefits God provided, and this meditation produced praise. In my experience, I found that nothing elicits true and strong worship within me like meditation upon Jesus. In a moment, that sin consciousness and that sense of guilt that we carry around with us can be put aside When I meditate on Jesus, if I think about Jesus, his love, and his kindness, if I think about how he sacrificed himself for my salvation, if I ponder how much the Father loves Jesus, my soul begins to warm up and I find worship easy and natural. Many years during a dry spiritual season of my life in seminary, I was helped by reading about George Mueller. Anybody heard of him? Yeah, the famous German who founded orphanages in Bristol. Mueller said this about the practice of meditation. 
I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state. Is that true for us? Even Presbyterians? Get your soul into a happy state? You know, my son and I, we were passing uh, in our, our room, there was a group from a different church who were Pentecostal and charismatic, and they were having a real good time in a room there. Dan <laughs> said to me, Papa, we need to go over there. I said, no, no, son, we're going to the right place. <laughs> How to get your soul happy in the Lord. Just to be happy, brothers and sisters. You know, uh, just a smile or a laugh can just dispel depression and doubt and fear. Just get yourself happy in the Lord, especially in seminary, brother. When you go to seminary, don't let them steal your joy, okay? <laughs> Stay happy. <laughs> how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner person might be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. And thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, and while meditating, my heart might be brought into real communion with the Lord. And then he says, I began to meditate on the New Testament early in the morning. I've talked openly about my own struggle with depression in, in a prior period of my life, and many of us have struggled with it at some period in our lives. And the only way I'm able to stand here before you this morning is that I just meditate upon the Lord. Just begin to think about him and his goodness, what he's done for me, and it just lifts my spirit. So I, I recommend it to you. If you want to worship Jesus well, if you want to pray well, if you want to be useful, meditate on Jesus. Melissa, it's good to see you, sister. She recently used Psalm 63 in her class in a dry and weary land. And I was moved once again as I meditated upon that psalm, Melissa. David directly connects his worship of God with his practice of meditation. Listen to Psalm 63, 5. My soul will be satisfied as with rich and fat food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. The psalmist meditates upon God at night, and it leads to a mouthful of praise. And there's that same Hebrew word, Hagah, and the same concept. For us, meditating on Jesus is the rich source of praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Now here is an aside, and it's unscientific, so don't, don't quote me on this. <laughs> I found a solution for sleeplessness. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, and you just can't get back to sleep especially if you're used to sleeping on a really hard surface and now you're sleeping on a big fluffy bed in a hotel, right? <laughs> or like my son, he said, Papa, you're snoring in the middle of the night. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that, right? He was up and I was up. But I've learned, <laughs> I've learned that by meditating on Jesus and his goodness in bed, I can usually drift off to sleep. I've learned it the hard way. When you're awake, the enemy is trying to trouble you and you're anxious. Just center your mind on Jesus. Meditate upon him. And it's been helpful to me, and I hope it helps someone as well. But it's unscientific, so you can't quote me. Now to our last point. How? 
That's what we're all waiting for, right? How do we meditate? <laughs> it sounds very simple as we talk about it, but there are a few challenges in the day-to-day -day practice of meditating on Jesus. As a way forward, I'd like to give you four tips that I found useful. And then, just for a brief moment, we'll try to meditate together. <clears throat> First tip, be patient with yourself. Several years ago, I decided to run a marathon. Now, a big guy like me trying to run a marathon is probably a bad idea, right? Many years later, I have to admit, I still haven't run a marathon. <laughs> I thought my discipline and grit would make the marathon doable, but I was completely wrong. <laughs> I went out there and I ran very hard, six, seven miles, and I tore something, hurt something. If I had trained in small, incremental steps by giving myself sufficient time, I could have run a marathon, but instead I rushed. And so I want to say to you, be patient with yourself in any spiritual discipline. The Christian life is a journey and not a race. Second. Never approach a spiritual discipline with a legalistic attitude. This is always the danger. Get out the, check, the pen and check off something. We rely upon the grace of God for salvation and every aspect of the Christian life. We're debtors to grace, and any good we do arises out of God's grace. He loves us. Do you know that? God loves you. Sometimes you just need to hear that. God loves us. And... Because of Jesus, we can come into his presence, and that's why we practice these disciplines. Third, center your mind exclusively on God's word. Find Jesus in the scriptures alone. Don't lead with your imagination or any novel ideas you may have. Pick a portion of scripture and let scripture guide your practice of meditation. It's too easy for us to veer off into our own ideas or false ideas and thus lose sight of the Lord. Can I tell you, Scripture is such good medicine. It, do you know that? It is good medicine. There are, all, there are all kinds of other practices in the world, but I found, have you ever been to a person's hospital bed and they're really in a funk because they're sick, their body is in pain, and they can even be depressed? Just take out a song and say, can I read this to you? Can we just read it together? And just read it to them. And then try, if they will, to praise God. You know, you can praise God by standing like this, the Presbyterian way, but you can also praise God by standing like this. He, he won't be angry at you. Just lift up your heart, lift up your body if you want to, and just praise the Lord with his words. I've found God's word. It, just, it is good medicine, brothers and sisters, good medicine. Jesus describes, and finally I want to tell you the final point is, rest and rely on the Holy Spirit. Meditation is a deeply spiritual act, and we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. He gives us the capacity to meditate. Here's what Jesus says in John 16:12 about the Holy Spirit. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus said to his disciples, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and show it unto you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. While we meditate, 
The Spirit takes the things of Jesus, his beauty, his glory, his love. The Spirit takes those realities and reveals them to our hearts. I want to ask you a second question today. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit real to you? Do you, not someone else, but do you know the Spirit as a person and as a friend? Well, in the remaining time we have, I'd like us to think about Jesus. We're just going to consider a passage of Scripture together and center our minds on Jesus. We'll use John's vision of the risen Lord that's found in Revelation chapter 1. And this is verse 12. Listen to what John says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now just take a moment and quiet your hearts and let's pray together to the Father. Oh Father, we come to you this morning. We're headed back to the city. It's full of so many problems, so much noise, work, troubles for some of us. We've taken some time, Father, to be here with you this morning and this weekend. We want to take back your son Jesus with us. Oh, we see him, Father, with eyes that are blazing like fire, hair that is white like wool, with a face that is shining like the sun. But he's not angry at us. He's not upset with us. He's smiling at us. He's your son, Jesus. He is our Lord. He welcomes us. He loves us. Oh, we thank you for him, Father. We just reach out to him 
Some of us have pain in our bodies. Some of us are troubled and worried. Some of us are anxious. We see your son, Jesus, smiling at us and loving us. And we reach out to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Go back to this city with us. Go back to our neighborhood with us. Don't leave us. Walk with us. We love you. We praise you. And we worship you. Thank you, Father. You see it, brothers and sisters? Just form a mental picture of the Lord. God delights when we do that. Just make it real in your mind. Roll it over and over again. And you'll find that the Lord Jesus will come very near to you. And all the ministry that you want to do, you will be able to do. That's the path of meditation. Thank you. <laughs>